We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, welcome to the April 12th edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog. We are diving deep into Jim Coventry's rankings on each team's uh, prospective draft lists. Obviously, the draft at the end of the month, there's going to be plenty of draft coverage on uh, every other RotoWire podcast, certainly in ours, over the uh, ensuing weeks. So if you are into the NFL draft, if you are ready to dive in yourselves and uh, learn what your team and other teams might be needing, this is the place to go. Let's uh, go ahead and kick things off here with our music. Again, welcome to the April 12th edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast, the Wednesday version uh, brought to you by Underdog. I'm Joe Bartle. You can follow me at JB Fantasy Sports. More importantly, though, you can follow Jim Coventry at Jim Coventry NFL because we are going over Jim's list he has done thus far. I, have you went through every team yet or are we getting close to the end of that list? So I planned it out. I think I got to drop two on one day. I started oh, 27 nice. days, but I, I do this by <laughs> one day. But I want to be one a day. And if somebody really, really wants my information, if you hit me up on Twitter, I have the entire list ready. I'm just dropping a day at a time. Okay, so we, we are going uh, through at least the first dozen or so teams on Jim Coventry's list. He's broken down every team thus far. You already heard he's got every team done, all 32. Uh, but each day he's been releasing a new team on the list uh, and what their draft needs could be kind of breaking down a little bit position by position, each thread on Twitter. So again, this is the audio version of what you're visually seeing on Twitter from Jim stuff. But I do want you to expand a bit more on some of your thought process, Jim. And we're sticking mostly to skill position players. I mean, guys that will help out from a redraft perspective, from a dynasty project perspective. But there are some, I think, interesting defensive questions as well, too, for certain teams. So I have the list right now. We'll do a, probably a part two of this uh, exercise next week, Wednesday as well. Uh, as we really gear up to draft season, it feel we're like two weeks away, and I, I don't feel like we've really uh, gotten started on that process. I think it's in part because we don't know what the Panthers are going to do, other than they're going to take a QB. We'll get to that as we talk about the Panthers later on the show. So we have done a lot of these different breakdowns as we went over each division over the past two months, or I guess month and a half, discussing different teams. But I think finalizing and diving into the specific draft thought process is really interesting. So I'll, we'll go to the Falcons first. And you have listed, uh, again, on Jim Country NFL, dating back to, I think, uh, now a couple of weeks, as to what the Falcons are going to do. Cornerback, quarterback, 
And then O-line and D-line. Now they just trade for Jeff Akuda uh, yesterday. I don't know if that really moves the needle for you, especially like from from the secondary wise. But that is a piece they gave up a fifth round pick for that move. I, do you do you think the Falcons uh, go ahead and go high pick? Let's just say uh, second round or first first round at cornerback, or or where we're at with the depth. Uh, sorry, with the depth at secondary in the draft, is that just too high of a price to pay for the Falcons who who do have a decent amount of needs? I mean, realistically, in today's NFL, quarterback wide receiver, cornerback, and edge rusher, and offensive tackle. Those are the five, right? Those are the five cornerstone positions because, look, teams run the ball, and I know Arthur Smith has a different philosophy on this, but it's a pass-based league. You either have to stop the pass, pressure the quarterback, or on offense, you got to move the ball through the air. And so if there's a cornerback that they have viewed as a player who might be somebody who could be a cornerstone for 10 years, and you do, you're not prioritizing those other positions I stated, then you make that move. It's never too high of a pick on a cornerback if the team has him graded out as somebody you're like, yes, we want him. So I do think it's going to be in their idea. But again, it depends how they prioritize. When I look at the entire roster, I look at the depth, the starters, and then I make a determination of the team's needs. And of course, a team may see it differently. Now, they have A.J. Terrell, who didn't mm-hmm. play great last year, but he was really good two years ago. And so cornerback play, other than the elite ones, we don't always get the same production year in, year out. But if they're sold on him being the long-term guy, Casey Hayward has another year or two left. He's still playing okay. They may say, well enough. You know, they got Mike Hughes right. in the slot. He, he, not great, but but serviceable, fine enough. And Akut is a reclamation project at this point. Obviously, the Lions could get hardly anything for him. And so they may believe maybe they can figure out how to make Akuda work. And so they may not have the same priority on corner based on those parameters. Yeah, I actually was surprised he went for a fifth round pick. We saw the trade get released and then like the details of it. You think Jalen Ramsey went for a third round earlier this year. I know his contract was really high to get a fifth rounder for Akuda, who has not proven a whole lot in the NFL and Lions fans will blame Matt Patricia and then they'll blame the ACL tear. And it could just be like Akuda's not good. You know, like it, 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 it can be both things to get a fifth round pick for him, especially when you're having to pay 10 million for him potentially this year, I thought was actually a, a surprising win for the Lions in that regard. So if the Falcons are paying a fifth round pick, I think it is with the idea that not only a reclamation project that Akuda could be, they're, they're kind of planning for that. I, I don't know if a not that Akuda changes the dynamic of they need additional secondary help, but that they have some plans for him. I think is really interesting. So, uh, the, you know, you're writing this two weeks ago. You're not anticipating they're trading for a cornerback, uh, even one that from a compensation perspective doesn't move the needle needle all that much. But Casey Hayward, Mike Hughes, uh, and certainly AJ Terrell. that's that's a good enough secondary group the quarterback one i thought was really interesting obviously they signed taylor heineke uh and came out right away and said he is going to be the backup it's like a (laughs) a wink wink sure sure that he's going to be the backup because if ritter fails heineke has proven time and again that he can be a very relevant and interesting factor um from the quarterback position and i think 
fits what Arthur Smith wants to do. And you had mentioned this is a passing league. Don't tell Arthur Smith that, right? <laughs> you have this uh, insane athlete in Kyle Pitts, who you just is going to be a run blocker. And Drake London, I know towards the end of the season, got involved. But, oh, yeah, we're in the red zone. I don't need to throw the 6'5 guy. Uh, I have a lot of running backs to do that job. Uh, if it's Arthur Smith's uh, choice, he, he's doing Pete Carroll stuff, where I'm going to run the ball 45 times, and I don't want my quarterback to throw it all. Ritter's athleticism is more than Heineke. But I think we're kind of uh, – devaluing what Heineke can do on the ground. Like he kind of fits well enough from the quarterback spot. So when you're saying the Falcons need to improve at quarterback, it's the idea that they're getting a, a true front end starter better than Ritter, better than Heineke. Is there one quarterback in this group? And we'll talk a lot about quarterbacks as we continue on that you feel like fits the Falcons mold and Arthur Smith best. You know, it's going to be interesting because if you think about Arthur Smith's offense, yes, he runs the ball all day. But if you think back to Ryan Tannehill, what was he actually doing? Play action mm-hmm. shots. There were very, very good looks downfield. And I don't know that he's confident with Desmond Ritter. Now, obviously picking eighth, you know the top three prospects are probably off the board. If Anthony Richardson somehow falls with that big arm, now I know he's inaccurate. I get that. Totally get it. But if you want a big arm dude, which Desmond Ritter is not that, but on play action and you've got Drake London and Kyle Pitts and whoever else they add to the mix, having a big arm quarterback. So I think that said, if they are sold on the fact that Will Levis could be a solid starter, he has the arm. There's a lot of intangibles and things he has to work on, but he doesn't have touch and accuracy, but he has an arm. He has an NFL caliber arm. It could be if they're looking at quarterback that they say, yep, we're going to take a shot at Levis. It could be. Yeah, it's really interesting. We talked about the NFC South a couple of podcasts ago. It's not a very good division. And we'll, we'll mention that again with the Panthers too, because I think it's, it's relevant to point out. I, I wonder if they were um, – in a, in a better division, like let's just say the AFC West or NFC East, and it's very clearly the Falcons are not going to compete. They have no shot at the playoffs. A second-round quarterback who is okay, even mediocre, is valuable. I mean, there's a reason why Davis Mills was starting for as long as he was with the Texans. They had no interest in competing. There was no reason to. And, hey, if you strike gold on this guy, very cheap asset you can build the rest of the team on. They've made some really interesting offseason moves, specifically investing in the defense that Jesse Bates signing in the first couple of weeks, uh, days of free agency, I thought was a really good move, especially to add to a defense that has been bad for so long. You can do that because you have a cheap starting quarterback in Desmond Ritter or Heineke, right? He only paid him $10 million a year um, to be the backup or fill in whatever it might be for them. I think they want to roll the dice with Ritter because what does it matter? Like realistically, even if they win the NFC South, they're not going to be making a huge dent in the NFC where you have the Eagles and 49ers that appear to be juggernauts at that level. So I, I think they want to make Ritter a thing. It's whether or not he can be a thing in the Austin, Arthur Smith offense that I find really interesting. I liked a lot of the secondary additions they had. The Scotty Miller signing, kind of interesting. You know, the speed threat, again, you talk about the play action part of it. Scotty Miller could do that pretty well. John o. Smith, uh, I know a lot of people are worried that he's going to be the starter. Maybe he will be, but the hope is that John Smith is blocking. Kyle Pitts ends up being more of a receiver. Again, that's the hope. They made some smart additions. That we don't mention wide receiver as a possible draft uh, acquisition for them, I also think is really interesting, too, because other than Drake London, who do the Falcons really have, right? Yeah, no, they don't have much of a wide receiver room, which fine enough because if they play it right, we talked about John Smith a number of weeks back. 
He played for Arthur Smith. I fully believe he'll be an H-back in this offense. Mm-hmm. Going to give him some versatility, some blocking, some routes out of the backfield. He is going to give – and block. And like I said, the blocking is big as a, like as a running back, an H-back. That just gives you a different dynamic in that offense. And the wide receiver, they, they signed Matt Collins. Look, Matt Collins isn't the world beater, but he showed last year, and he's shown when he's been used in his career. He gets downfield. He – for his size, not a blazer, but he gets downfield and he can win 50-50 balls. So if you're using the play action game, having Drake London, Matt Collins, and Kyle Pitts, assuming they're going to use him in the receiving mode, which they didn't a lot last year. But if they go that route, it's a pretty good three to have. And we still don't know. I, my guess is Frank Darby's not going to be a thing at this right. point, but they still got him around. Maybe, you know, hey, we've seen receivers break out in year three. Could happen, probably won't. But um, I don't know how they would prioritize receiver. Like I said, getting somebody like Scotty Miller, addition like that, you could pick up that extra depth option and go from there. But I think that's one they might wait till next year. They just invested that number. I believe the number eight pick of Drake London last year. Yeah. So it, they had it, they have capital invested. I think they have so many other holes right now. That's not the party because they know they're not a pass heavy team this year. This year for sure that's not happening. So I don't think you prioritize receiver. Yeah, and the fact that you mentioned they're not a pass-heavy team leads me to my next point. So they had Tyler Algier break out in his rookie year. Cordell Patterson didn't do a whole lot relative to fantasy expectations, was still a factor somewhat offensively for them. If you are as run-oriented as Arthur Smith is, and you saw how great Derrick Henry was for the Titans, why are we not talking about Bijan Robinson more? Like I, I know that uh, it's uh, taboo to mention a running back going in the top ten, <laughs> but for as run oriented of a team as the Falcons project to be, and for you know relative otherwise they have needs. I know defensively, but they addressed a lot in the offseason. If you take a guy who is a stud like everyone thinks Bijan Robinson is going to be, that has proven over the history to not be the worst thing in the world. Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel, I mean, like they they did what the teams wanted who drafted them that high to do. I feel like we're kind of ignoring the Bijan Robinson factor here, even though it would be a top 10 pick at a running back. I mean, they got almost five yards per carry out of Tyler Algier last year, and he handled 210 carries, and he was heavily used in the last four weeks of the season Mm -hmm. where he was averaging 20 carries, and he was putting up big yardage. No game worse than 74 yards, a couple games over a buck 30. So in that small sample, no, he's not Derrick Henry, and you're you're not intimating that in any way, but he was extremely productive. So I don't think they need – to go the capital draft capital route. I think they are going to get what they want out of their running game. Cordero Patterson, they understand at this stage of his career, he's into his thirties on the downslope. If you use him situationally, keep him fresh. He could still be a very good weapon for them as a runner. They didn't use him much as a receiver last year, but again, he was hurt. He missed some time, but I think they could get enough out of that duo where look, they drafted Algier. What? Late, I remember it was the, the fifth round. I think it's the round. fifth round. Yep. So when you do that, if you want to pop another third or a fourth round pick on a running back because you want depth, I don't know that you need to go for the big splash in Bijan Robinson. I just don't think they need to do it. 
Oh, that's fair enough. Let's move over to another bird team, this one, the Ravens. Now, when you were doing this list uh, a couple weeks ago, I cannot imagine you thought the Ravens would sign Odell Beckham, but here we are. Frankly, I didn't think they were either. I was on the wire Saturday, uh, and it seemed by all accounts he was going to sign with the Jets. He was going to go on a physical on Monday. Uh, clearly, that was leaked for a reason because he signs that monster $15 million guaranteed deal with the Ravens to be their alpha receiver or what you would assume. If this is the Odell Beckham from uh, – second or third season of the Giants, fine. It makes total sense. This is a risk, and the Ravens don't typically make risks, but it certainly seemed like it paid off in the sense that it brought back Lamar Jackson, who we saw reports was parting with Odell Beckham in, uh, I think it was Miami or Florida or something like that, over the weekend. Whether or not Lamar signs the franchise, I'm sorry, signs a major extension or plays in the franchise tag, you at least seem to have one more year of Lamar Jackson, your QB. And if you are getting a really good Odell Beckham, the one we saw at the end of his Rams tenure, that might make a significant difference. That might be one of the best receivers that Lamar has had in his career. Marquise Brown wasn't bad. I don't think Rashad Bateman when he's healthy is bad either. So a combo of Odell Beckham, Mark Andrews, Rashad Bateman, DeVernay, who I still like quite a bit, that's a really potent receiving group. Do you feel like Odell changes the needle from Lamar's draft status, certainly, but also where you'd be considering Odell uh, previously if he was going to go to the, the Jets or somebody else? You know, the problem for Odell Beckham is just that 30 years old. Right. He, he missed some time. You know, obviously all last year he missed – three games in 2021. I know he was dealt in the middle of the year. He missed nine games in 2020. And even before then, he had missed time in 2017, 2018. So this is not the picture of health. Aging isn't going to help. And chemistry. Yeah. Odell Beckham is not your typical receiver and that he won't always run those disciplined routes. He'll freelances a lot. And that worked with Matthew Stafford, who was deep enough into his career and saw so many nuances that he was able to work with that. But a lot of quarterbacks, and look, Baker Mayfield may stink, but one of the biggest problems Baker Mayfield probably had with Odell Beckham is that he didn't know where Beckham was going to be all the time. And that for Mayfield is kind of one of those on script guys. And when you have an off script receiver, that's problematic. And we think of Lamar Jackson and we think off script right away, but I don't think that's in terms of the passing what he would do, especially with Marquise Brown and even Mark Andrews is when he would break contain, he would look to throw deep. Now, of course, Odell Beckham has that directly in his repertoire, which is fine, but I we don't think we think, right. We this think, is 30 year old right? coming we off think. an ACL. Like, yeah, yes. we think. And so, look, I think this is a player who, if they get somebody else, and they, they're always going to be a run-heavy team. That They're not going to be a pass-first team either. Go from the Falcons to the Ravens, right? right. But, um, right. but, but still, they need another reliable threaded receiver. And then injuries are going to happen. And we're not even sure what type of health we're going to get from Rashad Bateman. I love Bateman, but I got to see him on the field for a while, right? Yeah, and that's the same thing you would say for Odell Beckham too, right? I, like the thought of Odell is great. In actuality, I, I don't know. I mean, that's I was I was stunned by the numbers, especially because we had guys like Alan Lazard and Juju Smith-Schuster and Jacoby Meyer all go for eleven million dollars and uh, eleven million per year, I should say. And none of them are even at the caliber of what Odell Beckham is at his peak. 
I just don't know if we're getting peak Odell and yeah. certainly Odell thinks that, but that's, you know, on brand for what he's trying to push. I, 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 that was, that was a stunning development for me over the weekend. And I know changes kind of what a lot of people project from the Ravens to be drafting was certainly a receiver to add to the Rashad Bateman, DuVernay and Mark Andrews. I think you still could um, certainly maybe not, maybe not first round anymore, but you certainly right. still could. A lot of people I've also seen, and this is just the, oh, let's have the sexiest landing spot for B. John Robinson because he's already really sexy. Is okay, run oriented team like we just mentioned with the Ravens. He's going to be um, probably not a top 10 pick with the Falcons, which I just mentioned before, but certainly in the mid teens, early 20s, you could see a team really diving and say, hey, best prospect we've seen a while at running back. We use the running backs a lot just because J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards were hurt doesn't mean that we can't add on to that position more. Both are entering the realm of second uh, second contract spots. You're like, uh, maybe we just want to commit to the spot and have B.J. Robinson who could do theoretically everything. But everyone who's making that guess is just assuming this is the Greg Roman offense. Greg Roman is gone. We, we can celebrate. We're, we're not tied to this <laughs> archaic system of let's use Patrick Ricard the way we want to. So, no, we're, we're done. No more Greg Roman. Yes, we're happy about that. Todd Modekin should change the Ravens offense. Still run but it should be a bit more relevant, right? Like, and, and if that's the case, we don't need to have B. John Robinson go to the Ravens when you have Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, who should be healthier in year two of whatever they were both dealing with last year. You know, J.K. Dobbins, when he has been on the field, he has been a, in, an incredible performer, well over five yards per carry. And we see chunk yards gained in suboptimal circumstances, defense is loading up to stop the run. He's been very effective. And last year, obviously, he was compromised quite a bit, and he still played well. So now, I mean, the knee injury, it's, it is what it is. It does happen. But um, he should be a full go this year. I imagine the Ravens are extremely excited about having the offense built around Davis. Now, he's not going to get crazy work that's not their mo he is going to get his 15 carries roughly give or take a couple he's not going to be seeing 20 25 carries i think we've learned that about john harbaugh over the years mm -hmm. wasn't the greg roman thing i think it's an organizational philosophy so but that said i really think they're going to be happy with the state of their run game now todd munkin coming in yes he is much more pass oriented he does like to stretch the field so Again, if Odell Beckham can get downfield, that is a signing that fits in with what Todd Munkin wants to do. And with defenses having to respect that run game, throwing downfield is an optimal advantage that you can take. And clearly, Lamar Jackson is very good throwing the ball downfield. So in theory, it's an overall very good marriage between them. And as we go back, and we won't need to repeat it for the 50th time, but we, we don't know what Odell Beckham is right. right now. But that said, I think their offense is potentially – we don't know what Lamar is going to do. If Lamar is there, this could be a really good offense this year. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And it just the, it's an addition by subtraction, just like my Packers should do with Joe Barry. They won't. <laughs> That's why LaFleur is going to be fired as well as Barry uh, by the end of next year. It, it, it's a good deal, and I'm glad that John Harbaugh – made the change from Greg Roman, whether Greg was let go or whatever else you want to say. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm optimist about the offense. And and to the point where I, we'll have to see what recent ADP trends we have for Odell, but I'm going to buy low on one of these receivers, whether it be Bateman, DuVernay, Odell. I think there, there's room ADP-wise to project this Ravens offense to be, to be better, and it does not require them drafting a wide receiver, especially if they signed whatever we are going to get from Odell. So I want to move over to the Bills, who have a lot of 
uh, weapons and certainly were good defensively and have underachieved in the, underachieved in the postseason. But I think have some specific fantasy question marks that may or may not be addressed in the draft. So we have Damian Harris signed to essentially replace the Devin Singletary looks. Um, I, I think it's really interesting and in a lot of ways that the line signing David Montgomery was like a head scratcher of sorts and a lot of uh, experts just see the name and like, oh yeah, that, that'll be great. It's like, well, does it? Singletary did a lot for that offense, but was also kind of dually good at the pass catching part and running. And, and maybe you think Damian Harris could be a better receiver, but I think the Patriots who needed that post James White and decided to turn to Ramondre Stevens, who was really good. I'm not sure the Bills should just project that Damian Harris can act that way. And fine, if he doesn't, then he's just the bell cow. We've seen offenses use these uh, singular run up the middle guys and kind of tip their hand. I think that's why they took James Cook in the second round last year, but he certainly didn't move the needle at all. So how do you feel about the running back position for the Bills and what they may want to do in the draft? So Damian Harris goes from a situation in New England where it was a run-first offense. They were a top-three run offense. I was writing that. And I'm talking about terms of attempts, not in terms of production. And so yeah. defenses were loaded up to stop the run. Now, the blocking was always decent to good in New England. But Damian Harris was not running in an optimal situation. Now he goes to Buffalo. Yes, the offensive line is horrific in run blocking. They're better in pass blocking, but they're run blocking. They have been terrible for years. But the advantage they have is Josh Allen. Mm. Josh Allen creates space. We talk about it all the time. He's a mobile quarterback, and when he gets on the move or he even has the threat of an RPO, linebackers have to freeze. But the other thing is we know he can throw downfield. The defenses always have to be prepared for that. If defenses ever creep in on the Bills, Allen is going to punish them deep, and defenses do not want to give up the long touchdown play. So Damian Harris is going to have room to run. All they ever wanted from, De from Devin Singletary was consistently get to the second level because there were not the, the bodies were not as close to the line as they are against other teams. He consistently didn't do that. His numbers were decent because he had free yardage, but he didn't take all of the free yardage that was there. They're expecting Damian Harris to get the ball, get downhill, get the free yards that are there, and hopefully one or two more yards, maybe occasionally more than that. They would be very happy with that. James Cook checks in at about 190 pounds. I, they already realize he could be a dynamic playmaker for them, but he's not the guy you want running 15, 17 times. You want him get, to get three to six targets in the pass game. You want him to get four to nine carries. You want to keep him fresh and keep him explosive and bringing in a potentially powerful back for early downs. It's what they've wanted to do for years. And they, hey, we always worry Damian Harris, he has degenerative knee condition. We know that since he got yeah. drafted. So there's concern there. But if they wear him out for one year, they can live with that as long as they keep him on the field, Joe. Yeah, and it didn't cost much from from a salary perspective either. Neither did Singletary, for that matter. But if you're saying this trait of my running back, in this case, Damian Harris, is an improvement over whatever trait Singletary had, um, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly on the just just be reliable in that second level, get to that second level, because the offense already just pre-generates a certain level of production. Yes. That makes sense to me uh, um, wholeheartedly. And it's, it's really interesting. You mentioned the 190-pound James Cook that's a lot of what this draft class is like. I think it's really, really deep at running back. We'll get over, we'll talk about more in the upcoming weeks here, 
not so much at receiver, uh, but really deep at running back. But specifically in the pass catching, um, Justin Jackson Chargers ask, you'll ask him to carry four or five times. He might rip off four or five runs of 10 plus yards, but couldn't do more than that. It's, it's deep in those level players, but specifically not deep in the 210 plus uh, bell cow esque running backs. And I, I know we're transitioning away from that a little bit in the NFL, but there is value specifically for what the bills are looking for yes. and that they kind of identified, Oh, that's, that's not available in the draft. I think is really interesting. So is there, is there a day two or, or early day three running back that you think the bills could dive into, or is it no James Cook and Neem Hines are fine. And we'll just do a, a, a sixth or seventh round, or you don't have to mention any name, but like that, that's kind of like the, the depth they'll add. I mean, the Bills have shown us over the years they are interested in the running back position. They will draft. And so I do think they are in play to go after a running back. They know Damian Harris's history. They they clearly researched and they know that. They they hope they can make it all season, but they don't have a plan B. Now, look, this is a player I'm unusually high on. And I would love to see them go after Chase Brown. I, a lot of people think he's small. Fine, he is a little bit small. Like you said, it's a class full of small backs. They, they, you know, is, is in traffic. People worry. Look, I think this guy has some vision. I think he has some footwork. He can navigate traffic. And I do think he's a guy that's going to understand the importance of getting downhill. And I do think Chase Brown would be a really fun fit for them and a good compliment. And even if they need to develop him for one year while Harris is, you know, having the lead role, but I think he's a guy I like, I guess I'll just stop there. Yeah. 1600 rushing yards with Illinois last year, 10 touchdowns, got 27 receptions for two forty and three. Like he can do a little bit, you know, that, that tells me it, it feels a little like Zach Moss in the way that the, <laughs> the bills use Zach Moss. And I know, I know they traded him away in the Hines and Moss ended up doing exactly basically that sort of role in the limited opportunities he had with the Colts. It, it fits that um, a little bit at 23 years old too. There's a bit of a maturation part of it. That's say, Hey, um, we, we have a veteran esque running back. Uh, he'll know what to do and, and the situations that we might need him for. That's an interesting case. Um, I'm certainly, and that's exactly the kind of guy again, 209 pounds, probably a little bit more when he gets to the NFL weight room, you know, that, that, that could factor in too. So I, I like that call. Um, the other part was that hey, bills sit at 27. You have last year of Gabe Davis's rookie contract. I don't know what his market is going to be and whether or not they choose to resign him. Everyone talks about T Higgins, but my, my interest is like, well, what, what would you do with Gabe Davis? Is he going to be in a, a different spot next year? They signed Deontay Hardy um, to be a bit of that slot receiver, Cole Beasley, uh, Jameson Crowder from last year, whether he can be effective at that, I think is, is different. They have Khalil Shakir who could do that too. Um, could, could they trade up? I mean, like the bills don't have a lot of pieces, but if we know that X, Positions are valuable, right? Pass rusher, uh, tackle, specifically left tackle, and receiver, the way really good receivers tend to be, there is value to say, we'll go up and get our guys. We saw a lot of teams do that last year. This is not as interesting of a wide receiver class as last year's was, though, too. So do you think the Bills sit pat? Do you think they wait for one to fall at 27? Do they even invest a first-rounder in a receiver at all? I do think that they will look for a receiver. They need to give Josh Allen a little more firepower. And like you mentioned, Khalil Shakir, I love him. And I think he is going to be, uh, he's an underappreciated player because he played a little last Mm -hmm. year. And people are talking about Deontay Hardy, used to be Deontay Harris back in the day. Um, and, And I get it. He did well in New Orleans in a gadgety role. 
Khalil Shakir is a real slot receiver and one they need. And he's going to have a second year jump. But yes, I, the player I think fits well with them. And I think he could be available in the third round, although they do pick late, is Jaden Reed. Now, Jaden Reed didn't test very well, okay? He's a little on the small sides, but I see him as what we call a stretch Z receiver. A Z receiver is the one who lines up on the same side with the tight end, but he's off the line of scrimmage, so he gets a little bit of a free release. That mitigates some of the small size issue. But I do think his ability, he attacks the ball very well, and he does have the upside to be a big play receiver. And I think it's the juice that they need in the offense because Stephon Diggs threatens defenses at all levels, but Gabe Davis didn't consistently threaten defenses enough. But I think bringing a player like Jaden Reed and a dynamic guy that has some explosive speed i think that could be the way they're going to go yeah four four um at the combine i guess four four five so you, you round up whatever you want the broad jump at 121 inches too definitely a plus aspect for it. not explosive um in other areas like the shell time 429 no. vertical jump 33 and a half so that that's where i can see too. and then that he produced enough not last year but the year before but that didn't do a whole lot here. There's always question marks for a guy that's been a four-year player at Michigan State. I think that's really interesting as a um, a day three, like early day three or a day two selection. But I agree with the receiver part of things um, for the Bills. Let, let's go into at least the Panthers and what they could possibly do with the number one overall selection. First, though, let's get a word from our sponsors, Underdog. The 2022 season is over, but fantasy football never stops, obviously. At Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy football. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's The Big Board Tournament with $1 million in total prizes and 200000 given in first place. Think you know which incoming rookies will burst on the seat, like Jaden Reed? Well, if so, now's your chance to draft them a value. All you have to do is join the Big Board, draft your fantasy team, and that's it. In best ball, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season. And whoever has the highest score at the end of the season wins, just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or the Google Play Store, sign up with promo code RWNFL, and not only to get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but you also get hooked up with a free six-month subscription to everything World of Wires to offer. Again, free underdog fantasy promo code RWNFL. Jim, we're in baseball season, so that will get you right there. But also, that six months gets you well into the NFL season, too. There's a lot of value to that deal. Oh, absolutely. And you cannot miss out on this one. You get underdog, you get roto-wire. So definitely take advantage of this opportunity. Could not recommend it more. And hey, Joe and I are going to have a lot of football stuff coming out with Mario Puig and our other teammates, plenty of teammates. But yeah, get on board right now. And like I said, even you, we know your baseball drafts over the season's going, a lot of in-season management. And if you already have underdog, Go to rotowire.com slash pod and check us out there for free. And don't forget, you're going to need to follow Joe on Twitter at JB Fantasy Sports. Follow me at Jim Coventry NFL and definitely uh, make us part of your fantasy football experience. We're honored that you choose to do that. Yeah, you know, we're going to have a lot of coverage for the NFL draft. You mentioned Mario Puig, John McKechnie. Yes. Uh, they do the Thursday show as well, too. Really, our draft expert, John, does a lot of the college football stuff. So they're intimately familiar with a lot of these details. And uh, the best part about this is you're going to have podcast Monday with Alan, whatever his guest is. You have us on Wednesday. You have John and Mario on Thursday. All three of us might have different opinions. That's fine. You don't have to pick which one you like. You can say, hey, you like all of us, none of us. That's okay. There's going to be a lot of different draft coverage uh audibly right as we're listening to this but also visually we're gonna have 
have a lot of writing stuff too. And maybe some video content. We'll have more news to break possibly in the weeks to come when uh, when it comes to that for all NFL draft your way. So again, RWNFL gets you that uh, deposit doubled up to $100 underdog and you get that free six month subscription. So let's. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's go to the Panthers. And I had talked about, again, they traded for the number one overall pick. I think, at least of right now, what you have posted, this is the team that has the most listed draft things that, that they might need. So you have quarterback, wide receiver, edge, secondary, and linebackers. That's that's a lot of positions. <laughs> um, and I thought it was really interesting, again, with the NFC South conundrum, you're not that many players away from at least competing for a playoff spot, especially if you think the Buccaneers are going to stay pat with Kyle Trask and Baker Mayfield as your quarterbacks. I mean, that's that's a roster, at least from Tampa Bay's perspective, that's good and has proven to be good when they have a relevant quarterback. I'm not sure Baker Mayfield, Kyle Trask answer that. So you have the Falcons with Desmond Ritter. You have the Panthers with whatever they're going to do at number one overall pick. And with everything they gave up to get there, you're cutting into just assets and a lot of positions to replace. I think it's really interesting um, what what you could anticipate. Clearly, the Panthers traded up to number one overall to get a quarterback. And specifically, they traded up to number one overall to get their quarterback. They don't have to wait like the Texans or the Colts as to who might fall to number two, three, four. They got their guy. The question is, who is their guy? Because we had C.J. Stroud was at minus 300, 350 for a couple of weeks of the top guy. Now we've had shift to Bryce Young over the coming weeks. He's now uh, the obvious front runner at quarterback. What's your rankings on the quarterbacks, Jim, and who you specifically think the Panthers will take? You know, I, I do have Bryce Young ahead of C.J. Stroud. But the problem for fan, and I'm sorry, for NFL teams is the size issue. Mm-hmm. And I know that Bryce Young put some phantom weight on the way better at the combine. Water weight, yeah, 10 pounds yes. of water weight. <laughs> yes, that is not his weight, and everybody knows that, okay? And he will be an outlier if he has a successful career at his typical playing size and weight. Height ain't changing. The weight you know, fluctuates a bit, but not much. He So that is the problem. He has the skills. Now, his downfield pass loses a little steam on it. But other than that, it's the size. And NFL teams are usually very aware of this. 
I mean, remember, Drew Brees was traded at one point, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And he wasn't ejected the, either the end of the first or the beginning of the second. I can't remember which it was, but because he was small, right? And so we don't see a lot of small quarterbacks do well. We even see Russell Wilson, who's had a wonderful career, but he's definitely had vision issues in the middle of the field because of his stature. And so Bryce Young, it is a concern. Overall, the better prospect. But um, and C.J. Stroud, at least the size is there. So if an organization felt that they could develop him in, into what they need, his problem in my mind, C.J. Stroud's, is that I don't believe he has that great second reaction ability. In the NFL, plays break down and you've got to go outside of the script. That's second reaction. I don't think he necessarily is going to be great at that. Now, certainly he had a great college situation. He had an all-star team around him. So it wasn't often he had to go to second reaction. But the times I saw that, it wasn't crisp. It wasn't clean. And he is not going to have the same advantage in the NFL that he had in college. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two points to this. So Bryce Young, you had mentioned the size part. And everyone is is thinking height. And, and you you said it, and I agree with you. It's not the height per se. It's that we've never had a quarterback under 190 pounds, yes, and that yes. was the water weight version of Bryce Young. Yeah. We saw the we've never had somebody that um, that small be successful at a position where you have 300 pound guys at 50 plays, 60 plays a game teeing off to annihilate you. And I and I know the NFL is different. It's not the 1980s where they literally will annihilate you, It'd be like a puff of smoke when a when a DN hits you you're still getting clobbered on a routine basis, not to mention having to see over 300-pound guys. Russell Wilson and Drew Brees made that a big difference, but they were also 10 pounds, 15 pounds, 20 pounds in the case of Russell Wilson, heavier than Bryce Young. That becomes the problem. Yes. So whatever you think with Alabama and how well he produced, and he did, I mean, there's there's no issues. He played at the highest level of competition college football offers. It's a different level at the NFL, and it's the reason why I, I'm, I don't like Bryce Young in that sense. I don't like Will Levis more, but if you're asking me to rank the quarterbacks, I'll, I'll have C.J. Stroud one. I'll have Richardson two because I think those guys at the NFL can produce better. So yeah, that's that's the issue uh, with with uh, Bryce Young. Stroud's different because everyone points to the Ohio State quarterback stinking, and you go to T.J. Barrett, and you, you go to um, the late uh, Haskins as well too, Dwayne Haskins, and even say what you want about Justin Fields, he's a great athlete quarterback. I think there are some co- question marks, and the Bears even have question marks. I hate that argument because you can be an Ohio State quarterback, you can be a Wisconsin quarterback. You 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 break the mold each time. Like it's you can't compare and just say, "Oh, ex college quarterback stinks." Like it's it, and that's not what you're saying. I know, Jim, but I've seen it around for others. I think CJ Stroud is the best of what you would hope a quarterback to be. Maybe he doesn't have the ceiling of Anthony Richardson. Um, maybe he isn't as poised or as NFL ready as Bryce Young. As I think that's a fair uh, fair statement, even though I'm, I'm lower on Bryce Young. Stroud can be a whole lot more, and I think he'd be a franchise quarterback. Um, and it's why I'll be certainly willing to still bet on him, even though the odds have kind of changed dramatically in CJ, I'm sorry, in Bryce Young's favor for the number one overall pick. A couple of weeks ago when you did this, you wrote the Panthers could use a wide receiver. Since then, we have Adam Thielen joined, we have DJ Shark joined, we have Terrace Marshall still there. I will I will be the last man standing on Terrace Marshall Island. I, I will not leave that one. I think he could be a productive guy. And when somebody is still making plays, when you have Jamar Chase and um, Justin Jefferson on your team, that matters to me. Maybe it shouldn't uh, when we're entering year three in the NFL. 
do you think that the Panthers, with all the uh, needs that you listed for them, actually do draft a receiver or not? DJ Chark is on a one-year deal. So basically, he's just a stopgap rental. And if he has a good season somehow, he'll go elsewhere and get paid probably, right? Adam Thielen, look, I'm sorry. Love Adam Thielen. Wonderful career. He has fallen off horribly. And now you're going to go to a situation where you don't have Kirk Cousins. You don't have a good offensive line. You don't have Justin Jefferson drawing maybe three defenders, right. <laughs> you know? So yeah, Adam Thielen, uh, and he's going to be cast as a number one. Oh my gosh, this is not going to be pretty. And uh, look, I like Terrace Marshall and, and I think he is what he is though. I think he's more of that Z receiver. I don't think he's that one. He's going to beat press man consistently at the coverage. We saw him win downfield during a, a portion of the season, uh, the maybe in the middle third of the season. And he was very good. And I do think that he's going to work out. I just think that their investment in Thielen isn't going to matter because he's done. Chark's a one year. Marshall, like I said, is what he is, but they need an alpha receiver. If you're going to bring in a quarterback, then you need somebody who is going to win in tight coverage. And you have to give that quarterback somebody reliable to throw the ball to. And real quick, Joe, in the beginning, mentioned that the team has a lot of needs. This is a weird team because a lot of the positions, they have a really good player in that category, but they don't have a second. Like at corner, they got J.C. Horn. But Dante Jackson has never really worked out at the other corner. And then the Henderson that they traded for too. Right. Like CJ Henderson, yeah. Yeah, and, it's, and Keith Taylor's no good. And then we go to the edge. Well, you're like, well, Jim, what are you, you idiot? They, you know, they've got Brian, you know, Burns. Brian Burns. But the problem is a bookend. You know, Gross Matos hasn't really done enough consistently. So it's like these needs, it's like they have a good player, but they need somebody else to make it a little more complete. So I just want to add that. When I'm saying the team is I realize they do have really good players, but it's a weirdly built team. It's good. It's a good plan, but it's just it's they need other help. Yeah, I said our rundown, unorthodox, right? And that's what it feels like. The issue with the unorthodox build, you have identified these top-end talents, but we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were breaking down the NFC South. The Panthers don't have all that much cap space, and they won't for future years. So, great. Uh, you're going to take the number one overall quarterback. That actually is, I mean, it's not it's not awful relative to what a good quarterback play would be, but that's a higher cap hit, right? And if you're looking for an alpha receiver, you can't get that in round two. and Not, not in this draft class, I don't think. Uh, and we'll still have to answer that question in future years. Oh, by the way, you don't have a lot of draft capital. You trade away your alpha guy to DJ Moore with the Bears. It's it's a little bit murky. It's it's a little bit muddy, and that's where I go. Again, if this was any other division, I think you just sort of commit to being not very good, let some of these things develop, and I don't know if you necessarily can do that in the NFC South. Um, you know, another team that could use a running back per se would be the you know the, the Panthers, but Miles Sanders, that was also answered as well too uh, in the offseason, kind of that secondary offseason part. So I want to move to who the Panthers traded for the number one pick was the Bears. And of course, um, we talked about when we were breaking down the NFC North, I was pretty adamant that the Bears would not make a smart choice, that they wouldn't do well with the number one overall pick. Maybe that was my Packers fan bias. Uh, I will officially take the L on that one. I thought the compensation they got from the number one overall pick was great, and they have committed to seeing what Justin Fields is going to be. So that's my real big question with the Bears, is if you want to develop Justin Fields, you want to see what level of QB he can be, a difference maker, just an average starter, or a little bit less than that. They've done a lot of things. They, they've acquired DJ Moore right in that trade. They added to that receiving room with the, the Chase Claypool uh, trading during last year as well. Uh, you have Darnell Mooney. 
I mean, at running back, I know they didn't they didn't do a whole lot. I mean, they left they let David Montgomery go, but we talked about the depth they added. I think that was really good additions along um, with Khalil Herbert, who's already starting for them. How like how high are you on the Bears' offense from a fantasy position overall? And if they draft an offensive lineman like a bookend tackle, does that make you love the Bears' offense more than you currently do? You know, the Bears had a very interesting offensive line last year. They couldn't pass protect, but they were like a top run blocking line. They were getting production in their run game. Uh, Khalil Herbert really took good advantage of it. Obviously, David Montgomery is what he is, did fine enough behind it, but um, it's more of a Montgomery issue. But that said, uh, Braxton Jones was very good as a rookie left tackle. They they had a steal in Braxton Jones. And – they're going to need to, yes, figure out that other tackle position. And the thing with sacks and quarterbacks, a lot of sacks are on the quarterback. Hold the ball too long. Most quarterbacks are getting the ball out in less than two and a half seconds, right around there, right? And so it's what they're going to do with Justin Fields. They would be foolish not to make the RPO the base of the offense. Mm-hmm. They have to threaten. I always talk about this. You have to threaten the linebackers. And when you're threatening them with a quarterback who's mobile, think Jalen Hurts. You know, think Chicago, Justin Fields. I think Lamar Jackson. That threat on the defense is very real. And then you have an alpha receiver in DJ Moore. And Darnell Mooney is an excellent complimentary receiver with deep speed. Both of those guys can get downfield. And there are so many things an offensive coordinator can build off a mobile quarterback who has a big arm. Nobody questions that about Justin Fields. He has a big arm. That's for sure. And, and even having Cole Komet in the middle of the field and when the offense has been running decently, which has been on occasion, Cole Komet has had, had good chemistry with mm. Justin Fields. So overall, I am optimistic that if they use RPO heavy base offense, a lot of play action too, I do believe this offense can be extremely effective and we could get a lot of production out of Justin Fields as a passer. But if they force him to stay in the pocket, I have very big concerns because as you mentioned, that offensive line is not great. And I don't know that they're going to spend that first round pick on the line. But if they did, if they were going to use him more under center, you would have to use the tackle. But if they're thinking RPO based, then I think your needs may lie otherwise, because a quarterback like that can mitigate a lot of an offensive line. And we've seen that time and again. Yeah, and and conversely, the conventional wisdom right now with with uh, I think it's pick nine after that Panthers trade has the Bears taking an edge rusher because you're getting a a premium position one that they need uh, and a guy that will make a difference. Most teams who have the number one overall pick, it's it's a windfall, right? Because you you have two picks in the top thirty three, or in this case, top thirty two, because the Dolphins lost their first round pick. Well, not the Bears because they traded that pick for Claypool during the season. Good enough, you're adding it to Justin Fields, but you're losing the possibility of getting an impact pass rusher um, as opposed to an offensive line. So it does really feel like it's a you have to choose. Do you want to commit to offensive line or do you want to commit to pass rusher? I think at number nine, you're you're going to have a one of those two positions available that can make a difference, but it is just one of those two. They have two second round picks, but both in the back end of the second round, theoretically not going to make a major difference at offensive line or pass rush. 
I'm I'm really interested because if if you go offensive line, you commit to building around Justin Fields even more. I feel I have more confidence, but they do need an impact pass rush. I mean, that's one of the big areas of need the Bears have, and I and I think that's at number nine, an area that they can address pretty easily. Yeah, I don't feel they have any type of pass rush that they're going to be able to count on. Yeah, they bring in T.J. Edwards, and in his role on a great team, he was pretty decent against the pressure, but I don't see him as a consistent pressure guy. Don't see that. And so, no, they don't have it. And in the NFL, look, you got Jalen Johnson, who has been okay in his three years as a corner, and look, we love the idea of Kyler Gordon. He wasn't good last year. Now, he was a rookie. Some rookies come in and it takes them a year to learn and it's very understandable. But from what we saw, we can't naturally assume he's going to be an impact player. So if you're going to have any concerns with coverage, then you have to have pressure Mm -hmm. to mitigate that. And so, yes, one edge rusher can make a big difference. Yeah. And and we'll talk about um, when we get to the Browns in just a little bit here, too. You have to get a good one, right? But um, if quarterbacks go top three, possibly top four um, with Will Levis, depending on how teams trade up, there's going to be a natural fall of talented players. And mm-hmm. um, that's why B. John Robinson could even get further down in the first round, uh, much less the the lack of running back premium. And I think the pass rushers too, and you could you could say what you want about which guys might fall, but I think that's sort of the plan for the, the Bears. And you're getting an impact player at a position of need right away. I agree with you. I do think they go pass rush and uh, we'll be doing a bit more of the, which teams will take what players and, you know, betting odds in future weeks. I think that's, that's my uh, pretty stone cold lock at the moment is that they'll go pass rush for that specific interest. I want to talk with the Bengals because I think they're really an interesting team from a draft perspective, obviously a later first round pick Um, the loss of Samaj P Ryan, again, going to the Broncos I really think is an underrated aspect that no one's talking about. There's a lot of veteran running backs that could change yeah. this, but as of right now, um, April 12th, right. That we're doing this podcast. There's a big conundrum. They have at running back. I don't know if they take Joe Mixon back or they keep him for, for next year. High contract has some legal situations, multiple legal situations going on. It was already kind of discussed last year that that was possibly the last year for Joe Mixon anyway. Um, it almost seems like it's a foregone conclusion they will take one, whether it be in the first round, second round, third, fourth, you know, in a higher pick. What about Jameer Gibbs, right? Like, or is that too high for Jameer mm-hmm. Gibbs to go? Because that was P. Ryan's value was he was a receiving specialist. He could block. That seems what everyone's projecting is Jameer Gibbs is going to be an Alvin Kamara clone. At the very least, he's a good receiver. I mean, there's a situation where Gibbs could be as valuable in redraft this year as B. John Robinson, depending on the landing spot. And the Bengals might be that landing spot. So I like that thought process. We talked earlier about the Bills and how the Bills dictate running lanes because you have to respect the downfield passing attack. Well, the Bengals are in a unique situation. So now two years ago, Jamar Chase comes in the league. The league's playing a lot of one-high safety looks, which means um, they don't have that extra safety patrolling the back end of the field. They weren't limiting explosives. And Jamar Chase torched the league. In the second year, largely due to changes based for Patrick Mahomes, well, the Bengals saw the same thing. They saw some of the highest rates of two high safeties made to limit explosive plays. Jamar Chase only had two games in 130-yard range. The rest were well lower than that. So Jamar Chase wasn't. He he produced it. He was great, but we didn't see that. So the Bengals 
were caught in a situation where the league adjusted to them. Here's my point. In year three, now you know what the league's best answer for your situation was. Mm -hmm. You have all offseason to prepare as to what your attack is. Reference back to my Bills comment. What the Bengals need, they don't need a replacement level back. They need somebody who, like we're talking about in Buffalo, you have to get to that second level because the defenses are giving that to you. And so I see them having two possible choices. I think, as you said, Jameer Gibbs is a potential player to go there, especially, and we saw it last year, if they want to integrate the passing game to the running back as a staple of their offense, then I think you go with Jameer Gibbs. But if they feel that they were throwing to the running backs too much out of necessity last year and their revised punch back to the league requires more downfield or more intermediate passing, then I think you want somebody like Zach Charbonnet, somebody's mm. a little sturdier, somebody like Damian Harris. I'm not comparing them. I'm saying no, I know. By the earlier in the discussion, that same argument. You want the guy that's going to go downhill hard and get those free yards. So I think it's going to be whatever their season game plan, and they have it already. They know what they're going and they yep. know their approach. So whichever it is, but um, I could totally see Gibbs being one of those answers. I thought for a second you're going to go B. John Robinson. Did you say, hey, maybe the Bengals trade up a little bit higher or it falls <laughs> into their lap? I mean, that would be uh, oh, a yes. mouthwatering offensive addition for a team that already is littered with fantasy guys. Yeah, that that's that's a really one. Um, I had talked about this with Harry Thompson, one of our um, uh, tech guys here, but also just a brilliant fantasy mind who you know, kicks my butt and a lot of things. So I, 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 I like picking his brain. He was – uh, talking about Jack, uh, Zach Charbonnet, the USC, uh, UCLA running yes. back, say. And I mentioned that he's your favorite fantasy guy's favorite NFL running back or rookie running back. And and despite that, he's like widely projected as the number three. It's it's B. John Robinson and Gibbs and then Charbonnet, and that's that's it, right? It's it's one, two, three every single time. I think that's going to be someone that gets pushed up uh, in fantasy drafts wherever his landing spot might be because there are so many smart people talking about how good he might be. But this situation, if he were to go to the Bengals and they weren't going to use Joe Mixon or maybe like a, a lesser version of that caliber of player, and Mixon's very good, but a lot of other situations like I outlined earlier might make, make, might make that more difficult. I, I would be buying the hype on Zach Charbonnet uh, if he went to the Bengals. Like that, that really is a good landing spot for what he could be. So um, the other part I was going to mention with the Bengals, and you talked about too in your Twitter list, is what you're, we're going off right now. It feels like in today's NFL, and maybe I'm wrong, Jim, but if you get the same thought, either teams have two tight ends that they really like or they have zero. And I'm looking at my Packers specifically for that. And there's a, there's a few other teams that we'll go through too. It's like you either like two or you like zero and there's no in between. I think the Bengals value the tight end position a lot. They lost Hayden Hurst to the Panthers, who we talked about a little bit more. A bit of an under-the-radar signing with Irv Smith in the later stages of free agency, which addresses a big need. But I think the Bengals want to have a primary focus at tight end, knowing how high end this draft class is without having to spend, I don't think, a major first round pick on doing so. Do you think the Bengals dive in like a a, a higher capital pick at tight end? I don't think they spend high draft capital on it. You know what? Back up. I, I shouldn't say that. I backtrack. I think in the second or third round, that's good yeah. draft capital. Yeah, I definitely. do 
I do think they they will invest because here's what they learned last year. This is what I could tell you. Regardless of what their game plan is this year, I can tell you this. Defenses are going to – if they're in a zone, that's one thing. But you're pretty much going to double chase in some bracketed way. And some teams elect to put shadow extra coverage on T. Higgins. So they are – like favoring that. Well, we saw the middle of the field was very attackable. So whatever the Bengals game plan is, that middle of the field is going to be attackable. Now, sometimes Tyler Boyd takes advantage of that, but a tight end takes better advantage Mm -hmm. of that. Well, obviously when you're in heavy personnel sets, you only have two receivers on the field anyway, but they play a lot of 11. So we'll see Boyd out there a lot, but they had better success when they had both Boyd and Hayden Hurst on the field. But if they could get a seam stretching tight end, even a developmental one might be in a plum spot because it's going to be very difficult for a defense to pay attention. So I think in that second round, they could look to somebody like Sam Laporta, potential seam stretcher there, Luke Musgrave. He needs a lot of development, but he's more of a speed receiver. So if you're just plugging them in and basically you're saying this is your role, that middle of the field is going to be open. Yeah, that Musgrave call is a good one. I hadn't thought about that. When you said speed receiver, I was thinking Dalton Kincaid or Kinsaid, who's who's everyone's like second or third favorite tight end, and maybe even like him over uh, Michael, uh, the the Notre Dame tight end too. Michael Mayer, am I saying that one right? Yes, no. yes. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, that's that Musgrave's a really interesting name as well too that I hadn't quite thought. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the Irv Smith one. We're going to talk about Irv Smith um, beginning August drafts and say, hey, he's a really sleepy uh, sleeper esque tight end 15 through 20, who might be really interesting if you don't want to draft Travis Kelsey uh, and nobody else, really high end, right? And and maybe that is the case. Rookie tight ends historically don't do a whole lot, so it's hard to say, oh yeah, we'll recommend rookie tight end X who the Bengals might draft in round two or three. But that is an interesting prospect from a dynasty perspective, certainly. So um, I, one other team on your list here, and again, we're going off of Jim Coventry's uh, draft, uh, draft needs for each NFL team. He's dropping one every day except for one day he might have to do two. Uh, we'll have to see as we, we continue on throughout this. Is the is the Browns, and it's interesting. Conversely, where the Panthers needed a whole lot of different positions to add depth, the Browns have a lot of depth and a few high end guys, so they don't need all that many spots to be filled. Specifically, you didn't list any skill positions the Browns might need, and I thought that was kind of interesting because on paper there is some question marks. Yes, they acquired Elijah Moore for basically nothing. Yes, Donovan Peoples-Jones emerged as a very capable deep threat uh, and and probably has more value now with an above-average deep thrower like Deshaun Watson. Not that Brissett wasn't, but I don't think many people projected Brissett to be good at that specific thing. Nope. Uh, there's a lot riding on the development of Anthony Schwartz or David Bell, who they drafted last year, or Elijah Moore to really provide that third level. I know they're run-oriented. They have Nick Chubb. They use their tight ends a lot. I still think they need a third receiver because you can't, I mean, Mario Cooper can only do so much. And I think we've kind of maxed out what Donovan Peoples-Jones is capable of. So that you didn't list a third receiver, despite there being a pretty uh, obvious question mark, I thought was really interesting. You know, the Browns are betting on the massive investment they made in Deshaun Watson. If Mm -hmm. Deshaun Watson is the quarterback he was in Houston, we saw him do a lot of things. And I know we had DeAndre Hopkins and I know we had, Will Fuller once in a while. <laughs> right. right. But, but we saw him make plays. He has Amari Cooper. Now, look, DeAndre Hopkins, sure, better than Amari Cooper. They're different. 
But Amari Cooper is an alpha receiver. He is a legitimate number one guy. When If you're going to throw him the ball, he is going to be super productive. Nothing to worry about with him. You mentioned Donovan Peoples-Jones. He's an excellent complimentary number two. He really came on well last year. It was when Watson came in and wasn't, in my opinion, he wasn't ready for the speed of the NFL game after the, after the long layoff. Right. But Peoples-Jones really played well. I am fully sold on Elijah Moore. And mm. look, that first year, those last six games he played, he arrived. He, despite bad quarterback play, he was extremely productive. He was winning routes from the slot. I He tested well. He showed that on film that he could play that way in the NFL. And then he just ended up in a really bad situation last year. He was clearly disgruntled with the team. He was obviously benched for weeks. He was begging to be traded and then finally got traded. This is a guy that just needs a new start. But if you're going to tell me that Elijah Moore, with his speed, his agility, and what we saw, and he's going to have Amari Cooper drawing alpha coverage, and Donovan Peoples-Jones, who has ability. Last year, he was actually used more underneath than he had earlier in his career. So he has the ability to win in many different ways. Again, not a dominant receiver, but a functional one. If you're going to tell me, and David Njoku. David Njoku was a really good receiver last year until he got hurt twice. And maybe he gets hurt again. But if you're going to tell me Elijah Moore now is fitting in that equation in the middle of the field, what does he really have to do with a potentially a really good quarterback? So if you're betting on Watson, then I think this group gives him enough to make that offense hum. And at running back, I don't see the need because they believe Jerome Ford is their guy. They drafted right. him. And so I'll just defer to them on that one. We haven't seen Ford play in the NFL, but they were confident when they drafted him and they were confident enough to let the Ernest Johnson walk and let Kareem Hunt, who Kareem they Hunt, thought yeah. lost a step, and they felt Ford as their backup. So I think they think they're okay there. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on, on Jerome Ford. Um, and I know we didn't see a whole lot, but like from a special teams perspective, he was, he was decently good at that. So, I, you know, that, that there's... You can see how that translates specifically at running back. Not that uh, like Kenny Naguang, uh, the, the Vikings returner, it's not like, oh yeah, he's going to be immediately a, a great Delvin Cook replacement. I'm not saying that, but there there is value that you can uh, really see from an offense perspective if Jerome Ford is your backup to Nick Chubb. So the only other part I want to mention, um, and, and we, we've talked about Brian Burns from the Panthers and then not a whole lot else from a pass rushing perspective. I really feel like that's the case for the Browns. They have Miles Garrett uh, and you seem to like the Okonkwo signing yes. this agency. I still feel like they're missing a lot, especially how the NFL has transitioned, specifically the successful teams, to having rotational pass rushing pieces. The only issue is the Browns don't have a first or second round pick. They do have, um, I think, six picks in the, in the three through five. It's not a lot, though. I mean, that's where you can add those rotational pass rushers, but there's not um, upper echelon ones that really move the needle. You're right about that, for sure. Now, I think we need to talk about Delvin Tomlinson a bit as well. Delvin Tomlinson is really disruptive in crushing a pocket. And if you think about it this way, Miles Garrett's going to draw his double teams regularly. And he can beat Mm -hmm. them, right? No worries. It's Miles Garrett. You know, Joey Bosa, all the top names, put them all together. Miles Garrett's in that elite crew. And now you put um, Okoronkwo on the other end, who is a very good pass rusher, two years running. But again, when the Browns had Jadevian Clowney, Clowney was a really good run defender, 
But during his career, he wasn't a good pass rusher. But when he had Miles Garrett on the opposite side, he was able to get some traction because it's Miles Garrett. Well, Okoronkwo is going to benefit from the tailwind that Miles Garrett creates. Right. And with Tomlinson potentially crushing pockets for them, defenses that they're sliding their protections to the outside, they're exposing their line to Delvin Tomlinson. And then if Tomlinson crushed it, where does the quarterback got to go? To either outside. I think they have a great trail. And you're, you're correct in saying there's got to be a rotation. And, yes, that's something they're going to have to deal with. But a lot of teams don't have that high-level depth in terms of passwords. Every team isn't the Eagles, right, Joe? Right, you know? right. So, But to have three, I, that's really good. And then here's the second part. It's the NFL. It's the passing league. Well, I didn't like the season that Denzel Ward had, but mm -hmm. we've seen him play well. He is a good corner. Martin Emerson, a bigger dude, he played yeah. well last year. And I think he's a guy that might come on and be good. And then Greg Newsom is good. There, I have no issue. Greg Newsom is an above average corner. So I think they have three good corners. They have three really good pass rushers with Miles Garrett being elite. So I think in terms of a roster build, I think they're in good shape. Yeah, and um, we had talked when we did the AFC North, like they had released John Johnson, who made sense from a cap hit perspective to do so. Got uh, Juwan Thornhill, who you, I think you're pretty familiar with, at least more so than I, and that's a good fit uh, along with uh, Grant Delpit. So secondary-wise, completely fine. I just thought that, um, sure, Delvin Tomlinson, it's going to make a difference in the interior, and you have guys on the outside. So it's like all three levels defensively, on the defensive line specifically, it makes sense. Just you're going to get tired, and and you that's a lot – asking of miles garrett because if miles garrett isn't superhuman he's been superhuman literally the entire career so why wouldn't you it just becomes hard to say oh yeah uh these guys who i think are are bit pieces relative to the sphere that miles garrett creates it just makes things a little bit harder when you only have those three but again if you have two third rounders two fourth rounders two fifth rounders like the browns do you can make up a little bit depth wise when you're missing those first two rounds and i think specifically just pass rush or, or just specialist X, whatever you want the Browns to fill can be done when you have those six picks in rounds three through five. So uh, you know, Joe, I love real this. quick, oh, real quick. Joe. So Miles Garrett typically plays roughly 80% of the snaps. That dude is a beast. Like he's on the field. And I just think that that's, it's just a beautiful thing for him. So, I mean, yes, the tiring factor, but he's one of those players. He is out there most of the time. They strategically choose when they're going to spot his snaps, but, right. but he is, he is just insane. I just want to add that. That's all. No, I, I agree. And I'm not, again, you're just, you're just hoping for Miles Garrett to continue to do Miles Garrett stuff. And historically, I don't feel like we see that all that often. There's not much that says history um, can be repeated when it comes to Miles Garrett. So, like, I understand where it's, oh, yeah, he's just going to continue breaking the mold. That's my biggest concern, though, for a Browns team that I, I know the AFC's loaded. If Deshaun Watson is the quarterback that they thought he was when they traded for him, um, they, they should be certainly within AFC North competition. Uh, and I think as a top seven seed in the AFC, I mean, that, that's easily in the realm of possibility, provided Deshaun is Deshaun and Miles Garrett's Miles Garrett. And it's just one of those you have to hope, again, the quarterback. I don't know. That, that's a lot of emphasis being placed on Miles Garrett in that sense. So I love this exercise. Again, we'll, we'll dive into more of these teams next week as well, too, and even gearing up to the NFL draft. We have two more Wednesday podcasts to go uh, when it comes to that. This was awesome. Uh, again, thanks, everyone, for listening. Brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. We'll be back in next week going over Jim's uh, – team-specific draft needs uh, over the break. So thanks, everyone, for listening again.